1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noon's is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casillo, and with me today is Dan Lyons.
2: Howdy, everyone.
1: Welcome to... we're, like, just over a month out from college football week. Sure. Mets in a free fall week. Yep. We'll go, we'll go with that as your, your monthly monthly Mets talk until we get to October, and then if they're still in, then it's then it's daily Mets talk.
2: I'm fine limiting it to that. That was a, <laughs> a good amount of Mets talk. We're actually over our Mets talk now. Too much now. Uh-oh.
1: All right. So, I guess a couple Syracuse items before we dive into SEC previews, which, will, uh, which should be entertaining. They uh, always are, as are the characters in that conference. But, starting with Syracuse, um, for those listening, yesterday, uh, for us here today... Um, NJ.com had an article that said uh, Urban Meyer urged Chris Ash, his former defense coordinator at Ohio State, to take the Rutgers job over the Syracuse job, mostly because of recruiting. Um, I don't really think that's a big deal, but obviously like a lot of fans seem a little perturbed by that. I don't really— If you're going to use recruiting as the main metric for why you can or can't succeed, um, and Urban Meyer may, based on the fact that he's— largely outside of a a stint in Utah, coached in Ohio and Florida. Um, If you want to use that as your metric, um, I I can understand why you'd maybe choose New Jersey over a private school in New York. But Dan, what's your take?
2: Yeah, no, I think that's totally right. Um, On paper, Rutgers should be an easier place to recruit to than Syracuse. Um, Obviously, it's of on back and forth over the last couple of years, uh, depending on how the two teams have done. But they're a public school. Uh, uh, They are in a much more talent-rich state. Um, They don't have history, really, that Syracuse does. But that only means so much, and that you know, only certain recruits really care. Some do, some don't. Um, But yeah, I mean, if you don't have any connections to either school, I totally get why Rutgers would make more sense. Uh, There's also the fact that um, Ash is a defensive coach. I I saw something from the Big Ten Media Days where he is basically like, "I'm focused on defense. That's my side of the ball. That's what I know." He's not going to meddle too much in the offense where Babers, as an offensive coach with a very specific system that he is pretty uh, sure will work, I think he has a little more leniency in the type of job he takes because uh, Babers can probably build a good offense just about anywhere um, because he knows the types of players he wants to recruit, and it's not always relying upon you know blue-chip prospects. Uh, so for Ash, where he doesn't have his own offensive system and doesn't have his own – Uh, philosophy on that end of the ball, going to a place where you can, on paper, get more talent just based on the area is probably pretty important. So I I totally get it. I don't think Syracuse fans should feel uh, slighted about it. Like, it's just, you know, the two schools are very different. They both have advantages and disadvantages. Um, I I think it's totally justifiable what Ash said and what Meyer said and everything else. I I totally get it.
1: No, I completely agree. And you know what? At the same time, too, like, that's only one side of the story for Meyer and Ash. Like, we don't really know what um, Mark Coyle's thinking was what Kent Siverud, who I'm sure was involved in the coaching hire, what his thinking was. We don't really know for sure if the finalists were just Babers and Ash. We don't really know if it was Baber's job to lose. Um, so there's a lot more to this. Um, you know, obviously it became a bit of a conversation point among Syracuse fans, and I am glad we ended up with Babers <laughs> over Ash, especially coming off of you know kind of a career defense coordinator um, coaching us uh, and and with some mixed results and, and obviously a floundering offense. I think, you know, Syracuse understood whether it lucked into this or, or this was on purpose. They they ended up with, a, you know, an offensively-minded coach, uh, one that I think is almost guaranteed to be able to fix at least that side of the ball compared to what it's been in recent years. Um, and, and with that, I, I think both schools can be perfectly happy with what they got. Um, Dan, I know you crunched some numbers right afterward. Um, showing that you know the, the rate of success for for offensive coordinators turned head coaches um, at power conference schools is a lot better than um, defense coordinators, and I know head coaches are more successful by and large than than coordinators as well.
2: Right, um, and when when I ran those, it was I think right after these hires were made, yeah. or maybe yeah. before. Um, I I don't have the the sheet available to me. There was basically like it was a blatant like. Uh, there definitely wasn't enough of a sample size to really determine anything. And if there was anything that I determined from looking at that, it was that, like, overall, it seemed like after you get past established head coaches, uh, it's pretty much a crapshoot. But those that were head coaches tended to succeed uh, more than our coordinators, and offensive coordinators tended to succeed more than defensive coordinators. So, um, But obviously, like, a lot of those, there weren't, like, in the stretch I looked at, which was, I think, five or six years, like, there weren't that many DCs hired. Like, it was a run of... OC is being hired, uh, and I think it's now kind of getting more fifty-fifty. These things tend to go in those spurts, uh, especially in the NFL. College, it's a little more wide open, but even so, like you know, different uh, ad see what other ones do and see who's working. And there's always like a couple hot prospects who coach prospects who uh, blow up, and they're on one side of the ball, so people start to hire on that side of the ball. So it goes in, in ebbs and flows, but um those tended to be the tendencies. And I agree, like what you said, I, I'm. I'm glad we got Babers over Ash. I was very lukewarm on the idea of Ash when he was being mentioned. I was pretty thrilled about Babers. Um, and I'm sure there are Rutgers fans who will say the exact opposite. So, uh, And that's fair. That's their guy. Uh, and you should always be excited about your first-year coach. There's not a ton that a first-year coach before uh, the fall comes around can do to really have you sour on them. So um, I guess we'll see how it works out in like four years.
1: Agreed. Agreed. Um, another big kind of Syracuse note uh, today, and again for listeners uh, yesterday, uh, Stephen Bailey put up a really uh, extensive Q and A with uh, with Tommy DeVito, the uh, the standout rising uh, quarterback commit for SU. Uh, Dan, anything that stuck out um, in that from from your point of view? I know for me, the, the biggest takeaway of all was the uh, the question about. Um, any other schools reaching out, and, and, and DeVito shutting it down pretty quickly um, and, and, you know, saying that I think they all got the message that he's not headed anywhere, which uh, which is obviously um, good to hear. It doesn't mean he's, he's 100% in, doesn't mean anything like that, but it, it does mean uh, that once again, you know, DeVito's really doubling down on the I'm good where I am uh, narrative.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think Syracuse is a lot working in its favor. We talked about this a fair amount, but um obviously they were in on him early which was huge and he before he blew up well before he blew up honestly a couple months um so if he's a guy who really values that kind of loyalty uh, on Syracuse's part uh that helps and and like i brought up before and this is only getting even the circumstances are actually shifting more in Syracuse's favor as we get down the stretch but pretty much every big program like program that's a good tier above Syracuse or more Uh, has a quarterback already, and uh, probably a quarterback that was, if not in the Elite 11 finals, uh, you know, or the opening finals, they were probably at the Elite 11 with DeVito at some point, um, which means that they probably got beat up by DeVito uh, because he (laughs) finished, essentially finished second, it seems like, um, which is awesome. But, uh, like, even if you look at schools like Alabama, they have two guys now. They have uh, Tua uh, Tagovailoa from Hawaii, and they also have Mac Jones from, uh, he was in Kentucky, uh, UK commit, He switched. So they're not going to take another quarterback. Ohio State has two quarterbacks. They're not going to take another. Um, So, like, the really, really big programs that could probably afford to snag a second blue-chip quarterback, they're already filling up, and most of them won't take a second one because they don't want to make the first one upset. Uh, So quarterback is, like, the one position where you can probably feel pretty good, barring a coaching change or, like, some super Trump offer coming in. Or uh, a disaster
1: this regular season.
2: Yeah, I mean, if the team does 1-10, in and or 1-11, and Babers, you know, looks like he's never coached before, you know, maybe, I mean, anything could happen. Like, I'm not saying that DeVito's, you know, signed and, and delivered and everything's, you know, perfect, but I, I totally believe him when he says he's, you know, shut, shut it down by all accounts, it seems to be what's happened, and um, they're just, the, the number of schools that can come in and totally trump what Syracuse is offering is dwindling by the day, so... Uh, I feel pretty good about it until I have reason not to. So, uh, and, and that was a really good read. Uh, I will. I'm like everyone else. Like we we try to be like above the fray a little bit, but like I'll read anything about Tommy DeVito at this point. He's a very exciting prospect. He's probably like at this point he has to be the most the, the biggest name prospect Syracuse has had in eight years, probably more, probably closer to ten, twelve, fifteen. Um, just based on all of these camps, and, and and finishing as the MVP of the seven on seven at the opening is amazing. Like that's. Every every bid program had a quarterback there, and ours finished, aside from Tadro Valoa, who won the MVP, and I'm, I apologize to all the Alabama fans listening, I'm <laughs> killing his name, um, but he won the MVP of the whole thing, and then DeVito was on the all 7-on-7 seven seven team, and that seems to be uh, pretty much number two. So um, just keep your fingers crossed, everyone. I, I totally get why people would get uh, you know nervous just because it's uncharted territory, really, even with guys like, uh, you know, that we've had in years past. Um this is like a whole other level of, of player in terms of the acclaim. So, hopefully, uh, hopefully we hang on.
1: Yeah, completely agree. You know, we've had. I mean, again, this is stuff that we've, we've mentioned here and there over the last few weeks, at least. Um, you know, we've never had an elite eleven QB. Uh,
2: at we least had like- one a couple of years ago. We had uh, what's his name? Uh,
1: but he didn't make Oregon.
2: He didn't make the uh, he didn't make the opening. He made the elite eleven yeah, finals. Yeah. So he was like one of the he was like eleven or twelve through twenty two or whatever. Like yeah. he was, yeah, and that was a big deal then. Agreed. But he finished towards the bottom of that. So, yeah. so we never this is like a yeah. whole, yeah.
1: yeah. So we never had a kid at the opening.
2: Um, I don't think we've had anyone at the opening. I don't nobody. even think, quarterback, I don't think we've ever had a player at the opening.
1: Yeah. So between that, the fact that, again, you said a lot of these, these schools are locked up. You know, DeVito, one of his big things um, is playing time. Syracuse offers that probably better than most of the schools he'd be walking into. I mean, a lot of these uh, a lot of these schools are on, on a higher tier or two than Syracuse. You know, not only do they have one or two quarterbacks in this class already, but they also have, you know, a quarterback in most of the other classes ahead of him. So, you know, this is a situation where he'd, he'd definitely be red-shirting. He'd definitely be sitting on the bench for a year or two after that, and then maybe have a year or two to start. Um, Syracuse, I think, even even if Dungy succeeds, and I, I, I feel like this is going to be a good year for him, um, I think DeVito still gets a better chance to, to play earlier than uh at Syracuse than he would at most places, also as an East Coast Italian, I would say that you know somebody believes in you early and, and that loyalty is usually a, a pretty compelling factor, whether you acknowledge it or not. Tommy's obviously an East Coast Italian as well. I feel like that might have an effect. Um, i I also think in general, um, you know th- this is he, he's not just a great athlete, but you, you you read the interviews with him, he just seems like a really well spoken kid, and I think that's actually helped. Um, the fact that he, he's well spoken, he has a personality. He's not just using coach speak. He he seems like someone who who is attracting attention on, on his own, both with his play and, and just with the type of guy he is. And I think that that's you know just something that's helping us out a lot. And again, like you said, that this is one of the the like everyone lost their mind about Robert Washington last year, and and obviously that turned into nothing. Um, this is different, um, and and it's obviously you know helping us. Um, Gain interest from a lot of uh, I think higher profile players And we've gone through a lot of these wide receivers And things like that Um, I guess this is a good segue Um, You know, Darius Fagan um, From down in Miami It Seemed like USC was kind of Where he was headed for, for a long time And then LSU, I know Alabama was in on it But, you know, he committed over last weekend And I think um, he seems like your, your your prototypical linebacker in in, in the Tampa two for Syracuse now, and and he seems like somebody who's I mean he's not the same type of name as Devito necessarily, but he's the type of guy that you know he's a, he's a great defender and he's a great defender um, against the league competition you know down in South Florida.
2: Yeah, I mean you can say he's not as big a name, but like the offers I'm looking at his offer sheet: Alabama, Louisville, Nebraska. USC, like, right. that's not no three joke. Star.
1: That, that, that's no three-star or it's no low three-star. This is a guy who could easily be convinced to be a four depending on, you know, what camps you saw him at.
2: Right. We, we, I mean, we've, touched, we've discussed this as well. Like, there's a kind of a, a balance when you talk about these Florida recruits where there's, like, they get way more exposure across the board because there's more camps and more games on TV and more everything else. But then you have a kid like this, he's playing at Miami Southbridge, which I believe is not one of the bigger programs in Miami. I don't really, I mean, I recognize the name, but not at the same level as a lot of those other South Florida schools. But it's also like when there's so many awesome players down there, like some guys are just not going to uh, get the attention that they probably deserve, where if they played in New York, you know, maybe everyone would question whether or not they're playing the best talent, but their talent would stick out really, uh, really well. Um but obviously, I think Nick Saban knows what he, uh, what a good player looks like, and, and uh, Bobby Petrino, and, I mean, who knows with Clay Helton. He went to USC, so <laughs> that's probably good enough. Um, Les Miles. Yeah, so I, I feel pretty good about getting a guy that all those people offered. Uh, he has prototypical, prototypical linebacker size. Um, like we said, he's playing against top competition. So, yeah, this was an awesome get. Um, I love the story that he chose us over all those schools because of our drama department, <laughs> which is amazing, because I I, I I was racking my brain when this happened. There is no way I can think of a, a Syracuse football or basketball player that has come to study drama. Like, there's Dang. no way I can think of one.
1: And the fact that, you know, the staff seem to be pretty, uh, I mean, at least at least now. I mean, who knows?
2: That's, if, you know, that's the question. I hope yeah. they, they honor it, because that's, you know, not really a Syracuse thing, but, like, across college football... There will be a lot of times where they tell you, oh, yeah, you could definitely come study this, and they'll admit you to the school, and then, like, two weeks in, they're like, yeah, so you're not going to be able to do this just time-wise. So hopefully he's allowed, I mean, allowed. I'm sure if he pushes, he'll do it. But I hope he is able to actually pursue the academic, uh, you know, things he wants. Um, That's always, it's, like, kind of one of the uglier parts of recruiting. uh, And it's not just a Syracuse thing. Like I said, it's across the board. But Syracuse is definitely uh, involved in the same things. So... Hopefully, he's allowed to be in the drama department.
1: Yeah, and honestly, I, I was joking about you know when he committed that the fact that we beat out USC for a kid who wanted to act um, was, was stunning to me, and then I got eaten alive by by Syracuse Twitter and, and commenters. So I'm well aware of how good our, our acting chops are. <laughs> <laughs> I understand the draw of New York. I also live in Los Angeles and understand that USC controls this town in a way that Syracuse does not in New York I'm not saying that there is a better choice I'm just saying that if I heard a kid wanted to act I would automatically think USC that might be misguided but it's just the fact of the matter
2: and maybe Elton said you know that's not going to happen so who knows uh, but he has done a dope visit there it sounds like so we'll see hopefully we hang on hopefully the uh, you know Hollywood sign and the walk of the uh, you know everything else doesn't I'll lure him down out to uh to your side of the world once maybe he, it's
1: the maybe it ends up being the one week we get rain every five years.
2: Yeah and he'll talk to Syracuse when it's eighty five and, and <laughs> everyone's you know sunbathing out on the quad.
1: Speaking of, we do need that rain, so let's try to try to time that out accordingly.
2: Yeah, you can have it. The last two weeks in New York we've basically had Florida weather Oops. where it's been Like, mid-90s and humid, and then in the afternoon, we get a monsoon. Like, it's been the most absurd weather I can ever remember. It's happened, (laughs) happened like, four or five times over the last two weeks. Troy
1: Noon's an absolute weathercast here with Dan Lyons. We're uh, (laughs) chatting
2: weather. (laughs) So interesting. (laughs) Hot weather takes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, actually, if you guys could send that water to us, that'd be great, since, once again, it's rained five times in the last three years. Uh, We don't have water here, or at least we're running very low. And uh, that's going to become a problem easily within the next six months.
2: Yeah, that seems not ideal.
1: No, it is not, especially for beer making, which, again, critical. Uh, moving on a little bit before we get to halftime and all the other fun stuff that we have planned around here. Um, you really blew
2: a perfect segue there. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, we're a little early, but yeah. we—I mean, are we? <laughs> I, I I I
1: typically nail those segues. But <laughs> No, uh, so the big league decided to na- uh, name their top 50 college basketball players, and Tyler Lydon made the list, probably not surprising, but they ranked him ninth. Now, I'm not going to complain, I'm not going to, you know, look a gift horse in the mouth, anything like that, but, Dan, do you think Tyler Lydon is the ninth best player in college basketball this year?
2: No. <laughs> I think... You no, know, he is you, awesome. I mean, yeah, I'll sign for it, I'll take it, um... I think that there's a better chance that he's the ninth overall pick in the NBA draft than that he's the ninth best player in college basketball next year. I'll say that. Um, and in, in McIntyre's piece, uh, Jason McIntyre from the big lead, um, aside from the fact that he had like a million really bad inaccuracies, um, <laughs> he uh, he said that he thought Leiden could average 18-10 and 10 next year, which also seems really, really bold considering um, how many players Beheim is going to work in, especially if they get Andrew White. Uh, there's a chance that Lydon only plays like 28 minutes a game, and and you know I'm sure he'll play more in crunch time. But I think we'd I would take like a good 14 and seven and a couple blocks and hit some threes, 18 and 10. Like no one, we looked it up when that when he said that, like no one's done that since Mellow. and before Mellow, I think it was Billy Owens. So it's not like this is like every year Syracuse is an 18 and 10 guy. Um, so that was a little aggressive, but uh, I appreciate the optimism.
1: Yeah, it was nice. It was it was nice counteraction to. Uh... To, to the writing that, that said that Syracuse didn't even make the Final Four last year.
2: Oh, yeah, that too. And and Andrew White for uh, wasn't on the list at all. And then when he was added to the list, it said that he just announced a transfer, which was actually a month ago. And then uh, they also had a player who's no longer in college on the list and uh, a lot of other fun stuff. So that was uh, it was good. It was really good.
1: <laughs> you gave it a lot of stock in that list. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was great. Tyus Battle and Tyler Roberson <laughs> were also on the list. Which, they were uh, added. They were added
2: post post uh, post haste to the like. Hey, people tweeted me about these players, so I put them on. Yeah, uh, part of the list.
1: I I buy into both, but again, I, I think that you know you kind of hit the nail on the head. I think a lot of these were basing it too much on pro potential and pro prospects. Um, I, I think Lydon is probably one of the top twenty five, and he's toward the bottom of that list. That that's not a knock on him because, to be honest, the Syracuse team already looks fairly deep and that's before we potentially add white um i I think that everyone named in that could potentially get drafted i know that some people are not um uh, in the same mindset about roberson as i am but i mean he's somebody who can jump out of a gym he's somebody who can get rebounds at the best of them if he can just get a little bit more consistent he's going to be a second round draft pick this year um and and i'll stand by that uh, until the very end
2: I don't know that I buy that, but uh, he could be a really useful player. Um, I just, you know, the Roberson thing—like we all know what he is at this point. He's very frustrating. He occasionally has bouts of total brilliance, and then sometimes just nothing. So uh, hopefully, it's more of the former than the latter this year. Oh, or we just tell him he's playing Duke every night, and he'll go, he always crushes Duke.
1: No, that's fine. I think I think if Roberson can get nine rebounds a game, playing twenty-five to twenty-eight minutes. I think a team's going to take a flyer on him. But again, that really just depends on the rest of the big man class, too. Yeah. And you never know with, the, uh, with all the Europeans that show up. Because that could definitely, as we saw this year, could definitely you know, start pushing guys in three to five slots minimum from where they maybe were supposed to be drafted.
2: We'll see. I mean, if he could add a jump shot, that would I would be far more convinced.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. But I think I don't know. I guess to me I feel like a guy who can rebound like that. It's hard to teach that level of of intensity and concentration to, to pull down boards the way he has. I feel like it's easier to if you have the right if you have the right amount of time and the right staff in place, you you can fix somebody's jumper. Maybe that maybe, maybe that's incorrect to some people, but that's that's at least how I feel.
2: No, I, I think that's fair. I mean, we've seen it in the NBA. Like, there are a lot of guys who, like like Jason Kidd's an example, um, a lot of, like, wings who enter the NBA and cannot shoot at all and wind up being almost like 3 and D guys down the stretch of their career just as they acquire it by, like, the time they're in their early 30s. So, like, you can definitely teach a jumper better than you can teach probably rebounding instincts. Um, it's just, like, his, he's hasn't shown it at all. Uh, it's not like he's like, shoots it occasionally and hits, you know, 30%. But, um... Yeah, I mean hopefully that's what he's been doing all offseason. season. If he could if he could hit if he could hit thirty three percent of his corner threes, he would be and that's not a huge great number, but if he could reliably hit that shot, he'd be such a useful player, and it'd be really hard to keep him off the floor. So uh that'd be nice.
1: I concur. Um Dan, anything else Syracuse wise before we go into maybe an early uh halftime today?
2: Uh, we got the ACC Network and an expanded basketball schedule, which uh, oh, yeah. the first one, I think, is, yeah, the first one, I mean, we can't really say anything bad about. That's awesome, even if it doesn't, like, totally, uh, you know, isn't the same equal to the SEC Network. Uh, I think nope. it's still really good and puts ACC in a really good place. Also, the round of rights through 2036, which is arguably just as big. It means that ACC is not getting poached anytime soon, uh, and Notre Dame's not going anywhere. Uh, and then uh, the expanded schedule... Um, I kind of like it as long as – and we talked about this, I think, on the site and on Twitter and everything else. As long as it doesn't mean we're losing marquee games. um, We
1: are.
2: This is like the opposite of our football scheduling uh, philosophy. Like, (laughs) keep those games. In basketball, we'll make up the ground if we lose a couple um, most years. Uh, I just – I don't really have a major interest in watching us play Louisiana Tech or Northern Florida or whoever else. So if we lose, like, two of those games – and instead of losing to, uh, you know, the Yukon games, the Georgetown games. So we'll see how Syracuse approaches it. But overall, like, more games than it's Duke and Louisville and North Carolina, I think I, I particularly, I like. I hope that we play Duke twice every year.
1: Yeah, I don't think they're going to do that to us. But I think, to be honest, what I'd like to see almost is them to keep the rotation the way it is in terms of permanent teams. Maybe even knock off one if you can. And then just have us play every team, play teams twice more often.
2: That's probably more likely.
1: Yeah, like I feel like, and then this is kind of the inherent problem, though, is that what's going to happen is we're going to end up playing Wake Forest twice a year and NC State twice a year more frequently, and in return, instead of those you know meh games, replacing your North Florida's and your South Carolina states they're going to replace your Georgetown's and your Yukons and your St. John's and your Villanova's.
2: Yeah, if that's what it ends up being, then I won't like it as much.
1: Based on what the scheduling article that was up on Syracuse.com on Wednesday said, it seems very likely that's going to happen.
2: Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we won't really know until Syracuse decides to, like, show us what a schedule looks like on one of these years. I mean, if it's, if it's NC State and Wake replacing the teams that we've already cited, like the trap teams, then that's still fine. Like, I'd still rather play Wake twice and NC State right. twice than play South Carolina State. But, uh, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it happens. I I, I think um, it's not like a definite good or bad, which is fine. Like, because, you know, oftentimes we are able to make a really snap judgment on these things. This one, I, I'm fine holding off and seeing how it works.
1: Well, it's entertaining, too, because, I mean, like, and they addressed this a little bit when they were talking to Mark Richt and some of the other coaches, like, Half of the ACC seems pretty eager to move to nine games, especially a team that's terrible at scheduling like Syracuse and and really can't get home and homes as easily as Syracuse. Um, And and probably has to pay a premium to get teams to come up there too. I mean, I don't really know what would pay Middle Tennessee. Um, I would assume it costs us a lot more to to get an FAU or an FIU or a team like that to come up to the Dome. But but there's a lot of teams pushing for nine. Um, I feel like... A lot of teams pushed for nine, there's a lot of teams not. I feel like in basketball, um, there's probably a lot more teams that pushed for 20, um, especially because, you know, you look at the old ACC members, I think right there, a lot of those folks would rather, even like the Clemsons of the world and Georgia Techs would rather face more of, because, I mean, Clemson and uh, Georgia Tech in particular just schedule terribly outside of the ACC. I'm sure they would love to, um, you know, have just more games against traditional rivals. Um, but the thing is, those schools also have, you know, non conference foes that they like to play. And I don't really think that the Georgia Tech Georgia basketball rivalry is what the football rivalry is. And same goes for Clemson, South Carolina. But, like, when you look at it from that standpoint, I think like we're one of the only schools that is probably adamantly against an increase from 18 to 20 because we have, you know, potentially as many as four teams that we'd like to face at least two of every season in non conference play.
2: And because we love to. Scheduled home games, like as everyone reminds us of every single year, we are very into our home games. You would um, be
1: too if you could pack thirty thousand people into your stadium. I'm not judging. I know.
2: <laughs> I know you're not. <laughs> yeah, so I buy that. I'm actually like more and more uh, kind of on board with the nine game football schedule, though. And a lot of it is because Syracuse is so bad at scheduling.
1: Yeah, like we, we got one. It's like fine. and we have no
2: two. rivals, so it's not like we're losing like oh, no, we're not going to be able to schedule who?
1: West Virginia. Who like, wasn't scheduling us anyway.
2: Right. Like, we, have, we don't have rivals. We don't – like, Penn State's not a rival anymore if they were for, like, what, 10 years maybe. Like, we can schedule those teams anyway because we do, and we, you know, it's not, if we're not playing them every year, like, this isn't any different than the status quo. So, yeah.
1: Fine, fine. All right. Uh, halftime. Dan, what have you been drinking?
2: Uh, not a ton of new stuff. I had, um, I think the most interesting thing I had was, uh, the tropical pale ale from Boulevard. Uh, it wasn't my favorite Boulevard, to be honest. I much prefer, uh, the, um, a lot of their other ones. Uh, the, it was interesting. Um, I didn't really think the tropicalness really came through all that strongly. It was really just a solid, like, American pale ale, uh. Nothing crazy, uh, and then uh, just some new stuff, some other stuff that I drink on a fairly uh, regular basis, but not a ton of uh, exciting new things this weekend.
1: Fair enough. Uh, I had a few things. Uh, had from Martin House Brewing down in Fort Worth. Had the uh, Salty Lady. It was a uh, salted uh, goza, and it was very interesting. It was nice, refreshing. It was a uh, it was a warm day here, so it was nice to be able to relax at one of those. Um, I had a Stone Enjoy after uh, 7-4 and Jesus Christ just, just Brett just bomb I mean it was it just it disappointed me not because I, I never had a you know, Brett beer before I, I have it's just the Brett was just so overwhelming that you really didn't know what else was going on in the beer besides that which is a shame uh, but I wanted to mention it because I know a lot of people probably have or will be drinking and enjoy after sometime soon um Hop Saint is a brewery uh, about a mile from me. Uh, Ends up that uh, I've mentioned the brewery Abigail a couple times. Uh, They're down in Hermosa Beach. Uh, Their head brewer left a couple years ago. Started Hop Saint. It's a brewery slash restaurant, Um, and uh, he actually brought some of the recipes with him from Abigail that made uh, that place kind of on the map. Um, Name Dropper IPA uh, was probably their best beer I've had from them to date. They also have some really good food. But yeah, Name Dropper is is could become a local staple for me. Um, Also had uh, The Wanderer from uh, the brewery and their uh, Tarot label. Um, It's kind of a nice uh, mix of wine barrel aging and bourbon barrel aging coming together for a uh, gorgeous, delicious sour. I had the beer once before, but it was nice to get a full uh, 750-milliliter bottle this time. And also had, from Live Oak Brewing down in Texas, their Hefeweizen uh, excellent, excellent beer, probably one of my favorite hefts. Um, so thanks again to my buddy Tim uh, down in the Houston area for sending that along. And that's all we have for beer.
2: All right, I'll be up in tape uh, Cod this weekend, so hopefully I can get my hands on some Massachusetts beers, but there's also a chance that my friends just buy a lot of Miller Lite, and uh, I just chart that down.
1: Yeah, or they, or they buy a Sam Adams variety pack, because
2: that would be nice. I'd be fine with that.
1: Yeah, I could. Although, admittedly, I haven't drank Sam Adams in a while.
2: Sam Sam Adams is, is totally fine. It's a totally fine. Uh, some of their like more unique ones are really good, actually. Uh, but like a Boston Lager, if there's nothing else at the bar, like that's a totally fine. Like B, maybe B minus, but probably a B. Like beer, like, it's fine. Okay. No problem with it.
1: Well, since I'm a West Coast beer now, that thinks all of Sam Adams beers taste the same. <laughs>
2: I will disagree. I mean, it's, like, it's not like I'm I'm doing it my way. Like, I very rarely end up oh, drinking yeah. Sam Adams unless it's, like... Here, the nice thing with Sam Adams is, like, you can reliably... You, you should be able to find it pretty much anywhere. So if, like, you're at a beer bar or a bar that's, like, kind of crappy beer selection, like, you can probably find a Boston Lager, and it's fine.
1: You'd be surprised here. They actually don't really have much on anywhere anymore around here. Um, you're usually looking at, like, your standard, you know light lagers and and crap, and then you're going to find Sierra Nevada Pale Ale on every menu. Um, And then usually in that Sam Adams slot is now Boston Beer Company's West Coast Brewery, Angel City, that makes worse beer than Sam Adams. But they have a really nice facility that I've been to a couple times, and it's super cool. It's like in this old kind of warehouse-looking spot, uh, downtown L.A. There's like a loft area inside of it. There's art exhibits that they do in there. So it's a cool space, so I'll go for that. But, yeah, the, uh, the last couple of beers I've had from them have been misses, unfortunately.
2: Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah.
1: All right. Supposed to be SEC, and now we are. Um, so, yeah, bunch going on in uh, the self-appointed best conference in America. Uh, Dan, spinning the wheel, where would you like to begin in this treasure trove of narrative ball there's only three teams that I don't want to talk about but if we end up well, can on Can I guess this? Oh, yes. Go for it. Missouri. Uh, yes.
2: Mississippi State. No. You want to talk about them?
1: I don't want to talk about the off the field stuff though I do want to talk about Oh I didn't Dan, even think about that. I do want to talk about Dan Mullen being an idiot. For, for being there still? <laughs> yeah like why are you still there? Is this, is this your ceiling? Have you realized that?
2: All right, so Mizzou, no. Uh, I mean, I almost think Vandy's kind of interesting. I don't know; they're probably on that list, right?
1: No, because as you know, I am a private school apologist for every school but Baylor, and and will support Vanderbilt football.
2: <laughs> Their defense is really good. Their offense is trash.
1: It is. But I, I went out good. of my way when I was in Nashville last year to visit that stadium.
2: Vandy might be. Uh, last year's Mizzou, which oh, yeah. most teams would not be cool with, but Vandy should probably be cool with. Um, all right. Uh, a couple curveballs there. Uh, you don't want to talk about Kentucky? Correct. Okay. Two for three. This is a fun. Um, South Carolina?
1: Yes, because they are going to be unmitigated trash. And, like,
2: there's but some it's, people. It, it's some it's people so interesting that they just decided to hire MustChamp and they're, like, totally down with that. I, like no. and I like I'm I'm kind of a South Carolina apologist for a lot of reasons. Um, I, they're not that interesting on the field, so I, I I get it. But they just hired Will Muschamp like right after he proved he was a pretty bad head coach. So yeah,
1: I would have been so like I would have been mad if Syracuse hired
2: Muschamp. I wouldn't like, have been thrilled.
1: No, yeah, and like if we were if where we would have been angry if Syracuse hired Muschamp. If you're South Carolina, admittedly not with the illustrious, you no, know, put that in air quotes. History of Syracuse football, and, and pretty much you can boil down South Carolina's greatest achievements to the last five years of Steve Spurrier's coaching career. Like, and George
2: Rogers Heisman. Um, fair. That's pretty much it, yeah.
1: Like, I, I, I would hate the Muschamp hire. I think that people are, are, are far overestimating what's left on that roster. Um, I've got them losing nine games this year, because I do, I do not like what I see over in Columbia. <laughs>
2: Here's the thing, though. It's the SEC, so while they, they probably still are the best conference, um, they're so unimaginative when it comes to hiring uh, across the board. Even, like, Mizzou, like, they got infected by it, and I think that might actually be a decent hire for them. Um, but, man, like, they didn't stretch too hard for it. Uh, that, like, Muschamp is a known quanti- uh, quantity, and even if it was a bad known quantity, they're like, oh, we won 11 games at one time. And, uh, like, we know his name, and he's, he's coached in the C League before, so, uh, yeah, sure.
1: Now, and him. it's
2: not like, I mean, South Carolina turned it on to Dino Babers, and they'd be immediately one of the more interesting teams in the conference, in the they division did. for sure.
1: They did try Tom Herman, admittedly.
2: Yeah, well, I mean, Tom Herman could have also gone, like, I mean, we still don't know why, like, Georgia or USC didn't, like, try really hard for Tom Herman, but, like, Tom Herman can do better than South, than South Carolina.
1: Well, we knew why USC
2: didn't.
1: No, I mean, USC. he
2: didn't. Yeah, I mean, Tom Herman is not a USC guy. I mean, it's impossible, impossible to sell that. <laughs> impossible to sell the guy who just won the Peach Bowl in his first year with a, a group of five teams against Florida State to your, uh, your USC fan base. Better, better to play t- uh, Helton. He won eight games last year.
1: Well, the interview process at USC is, like, quick. Name the five things Pete Carroll would put on a bagel. <laughs> <laughs> and then you've, you've got a full minute to do it. But it, one wrong answer, and you're out. And, and uh, unfortunately, you know, Tom Herman said locks, and, and Pete Carroll doesn't like locks. It's.
2: It's. You should have known. Like, come on, Tom.
1: Should have known. Pete's on a locks guy. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, that's that's that was live footage actually from from the hiring process. Um, so teams I actually want to talk about. Let's go with. Might as well start with Alabama since I feel like there's a lot to talk about there, and then we can kind of move on and talk about everybody else after.
2: That works. because I have their schedule and their. Depth chart open, and we don't have Bill C to rely on this week, so uh, but luckily it's the SEC, so we know enough about them by ourselves. That's
1: good. I actually had well, between that and I also have a uh, a fresh Phil Steele sitting next to me, which uh, oh, look at you. Well, I grip, I tried to find it in the airport on my way out to London, and they didn't have it at LAX, but they did have it at JFK, which I found to be just stunning because you have one city with two teams and you have another city with zero teams, and yet. The one with two teams had nothing even close to a college football preview magazine anywhere in the
2: place. I Doesn't mean, it's very Pac 12.
1: Yeah, actually, that is very Pac 12 of them. <laughs> <It's just laughs> not, not even a sign of the league happening. You wouldn't even know that. You honestly, because of where they play and where I live, you wouldn't even know that USC and, and UCLA were like in the city.
2: And That's like two game. of the most 15, most talented teams in the country. And.
1: And historically, two of the probably 15 to 20 programs that, like, you'd bank college football on. Right. But, yeah, whatever. Um, Okay. So, Alabama. Not, like, going through the whole schedule, but at least looking at it, like, there's obviously the annual Ole Miss trip up in there.
2: Real early this year.
1: Real early. Um, And that might not even be the game day game because week three is actually pretty loaded again this year.
2: Yeah, week two is, like, a bit of a, a lull after week one is just insanity. Like, Alabama-USC is probably, what, the seventh, eighth most interesting game of that day? Yeah, I'd put it somewhere around there. And that could be number one, even with USC being, like, a question mark. Like, that could be number one most, most weeks of most years.
1: Yeah, no, I I, I completely agree there. Um I'd say looking at the first, I'd say looking at the USC game first, and again, we're not going through the whole schedule. Um, USC is going to get thrashed. It doesn't mean USC is going to be bad. This is going to be one of those USC years where like they look just like absolute garbage at the beginning, and then like spend the second half of the year like rewriting that narrative.
2: Yeah, no, uh, this is just a bad game for USC to start with. Um, I know it's not like a super, super new head coach, but it's still technically a new head coach. You're breaking in a new quarterback, as is Alabama, but Alabama, like, doesn't need a quarterback. Yeah. Um, Alabama has, like, they're pretty much most of their defense intact. Their offensive line is nasty, assuming Cam, Rob- well, Cam Robinson is going to play because he didn't get suspended for having a gun, um, which, you know, whatever. Don't need to pass judgment on that right now. But, uh, like, but there's no way doesn't, like, just come out of the dates and run for, like, 140 yards in this game, right?
1: It sounds right. um. <laughs> What do you think about Cooper Bateman? Just like a, as, I mean, like I never know what to think of him because, again, like you're right, doesn't need a quarterback. But I think more and more today, and, and to be honest, I think that you know what happened in that national championship game sort of proved that they need at least a little bit of a
2: quarterback. If, if I you're mean, they need a yeah, person. You're going to hang
1: with more teams that are going to run spread, and you're going to have to try to outscore them.
2: Yeah, I mean, I've been rooting for Blake Barnett to win the job uh, as a redshirt freshman. It seems like Bateman's going to be the guy, at least now. Um, he's he's kind of interesting. I mean, he's a little more uh, dual threat ish. Um, he played a little bit last year, and that ended up being kind of a mistake. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's an Alabama quarterback. You can probably Lane Kiffin, for all of his warts, is really good at putting his quarterbacks in situations in which they can succeed without giving them too much um they have weapons all across the uh, all across the field calvin ridley like he gets a lot of attention and i still don't know that he's uh quite like hyped as, as much as he should be um Darius stewart's really good robert foster's really good like they they have a and they have Jared dieter who played for uh tino babers last year at bowling green like they have a lot of weapons uh i didn't even say oj howard who went nuts in the national championship Um, So, yeah, I mean, he'll have a lot to work with. He shouldn't have too much pressure on him because they have a pretty nice offensive line with probably the best left tackle in football. Uh, So I think whoever they end up going with um, will probably be fine. Um, And and that's what they've done. Like, Jacob Toker was fine. Blake Sims was fine. Uh, McCarron was better than fine. But, like, if McCarron played for another school, would he have been – like, would he have even gotten that much attention? Probably not. So. I think Saban just likes to plug in quarterbacks. Who we know are uh, they're not going to make like huge mistakes. They're going to play within themselves, like definition of a system quarterback. Alabama, it's almost like they're un- they're uncomfortable if they have more than that, even though they have been recruiting good guys. Um, like I said, I'm I'm kind of rooting for Blake Barnett. He's a little more of an interesting personality. He's younger. Uh, he was like the number one or two quarterback in his class, so a little more intrigued there. But I, I would expect it to be Bateman.
1: Yeah, I buy that. Um, all right. Looking at this, there's not a lot of interesting games in the first. Well, maybe there are. Um, Ole Miss, just quick without with minimal detail, does Alabama lose to Ole Miss again?
2: On paper, I'm tempted to choose it, and I just don't see it happening three times in a row. Even on the road? Yeah, like if, if they hadn't lost one of the last two, I would say I, I kind of <laughs> like it. But like I just can't see Alabama losing three straight games to Ole Miss. Like Ole Miss has been really good. They um you know for reasons that you can probably argue, but like the on the field product has, has not been lacking. They haven't gotten over the hump, but like they've been one of the ten best programs in the country the last couple of years. And I just like Alabama's too good. I cannot. I can't just. I just can't, it's it's hard to fathom that happening. Now obviously it's on the it's on the table because. Ole Miss is going to have the advantage of quarterback. They have, uh, in all likelihood, at least, Shad Kelly, for as much as we've made fun of him through the years on this podcast, due to his connection to Syracuse um, and once recruitment from Syracuse, uh, ended up being amazing last year. Like He was really, really good. Um, and they have all time of weapons. Their, their defense is probably going to take a little bit of a hit after the Tundiches are drawn and yeah. all those other guys are gone. But they're, like, they're still loaded all, all across the field. It's just hard for me to think that Alabama is going to lose to a team three years in a row. So wow. we'll see how it goes like once we get into the season. It's just I'm not prepared to make that statement.
1: My one counter to that, do you remember the time that Alabama on a neutral field with a ten days of rest needed a trick play to really truly beat Clemson? I do. Now Clemson runs, I'd say, maybe a little bit more wide open version of what Ole Mess does. But they do run a similar version to what Ole Miss does, and I'd argue with less talent.
2: Basically, all the all the teams that have beaten Alabama in recent years run a spread like that. Yep. Oklahoma with Trevor Knight ran it 100%, and Trevor Knight went nuts. Mm-hmm. Um, A&M with Manziel ran it, obviously. Uh, Ole Miss runs it. Clemson, I mean, they didn't beat Alabama, but they run it, and they came very close. Like, all the teams that have had success against Alabama run a very very wide open spread with a quarterback who can who can beat you both ways, um, and they just pick you know they they pick that defense apart from from you know the middle of the field. So no, it's certainly on the table. I mean, if anyone's going to beat... if there's a team Alabama loses this year, it's probably at Ole Miss, um, maybe at Tennessee. Although, like that's even more like be, <laughs> show me that you can beat anyone. Show me that you can beat a huge team Tennessee. And I like I respect the talent, but like. Josh Dobbs, I'm not sold on. No. Uh, they have a lot of talent elsewhere, but like Tennessee needs to like win some of these big teams before I'm ready to hand them to the SEC, like some people are.
1: Sorry, Mike just fell off the table. All good.
2: It's because I blaspheme Tennessee. It's fine. It's I know you're a big Vols homer.
1: <laughs> James decided to jump up onto the couch. but um, Yeah, I don't really love Josh Dobbs. Um, I don't really love Tennessee. Um, I think Butch Jones is... Inching himself towards fire. You know, the SEC has actually done a really just miserable job of getting themselves in the news for the worst things um, this past season. And, like, no one's talking about that, and that's kind of disturbing. Like, as a league, they've really kind of upped their game in terms of, like, scandal. And, yeah, it's amazing like, no one's been, like, pulling all these things together and going, well, yeah, you know, you're right. Like, half the teams in the league, minimum, have something going on right now off the
2: field. Well, I mean, Baylor happened, which just overshadowed right. everything.
1: Agreed. But yeah, Alabama, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Tennessee, Vandy. That's just like off the top of my head.
2: Yeah, and, and we should probably say that Ole Miss's issues are Don't much less than the rest. And Alabama's. Alabama's even, Agreed. like, are not as bad. Um,
1: well, there was the gun thing. I mean, the gun's
2: not good, uh, but the gun—you know—there was just a gun present. It, there wasn't like uh, it wasn't fired. Yeah, it was. It was actually told, like apparently, based on the story that's been told, and they did get off for it. Like they told the cop that the gun was there, and that's the only reason the cop knew about it. So uh, I'll take that over all of the allegations against the other three. Um, but yeah, like overall, SEC definitely uh, not not a great off season for them as a whole.
1: Yeah. Um. Yeah, looking at, I guess, the rest of the schedule, because you raise a good point. There's there's a certain type of offense that beats Alabama. Um, there's also a team, though, that I think has come very close to beating Alabama a couple times and has not, and I don't know if this is the year either, but Arkansas. Um, and Arkansas on the road, this could be – do you think this could be a look-ahead that – I mean, I don't think you're really going to look past Arkansas necessarily, but – you're looking ahead to Tennessee you just faced you just slept walk through uh, you know a 50 point win against Kent State probably like a 35 point win against Kentucky and then you have to head to Arkansas knowing that Tennessee's <laughs> up next
2: it's interesting I almost uh, yeah I mean it, it's tough with Arkansas because now they're replacing uh, their quarterback with his younger brother um, so who knows how that transition goes they they have a lot else like their their line play is always going to be good they have running backs, I mean, they're always going to run the ball well. Um, But they're, like, kind of uh, have to plug in some talent after a couple years where they just couldn't get it started early in the season. Um, But, yeah, I mean, clearly Bielinma knows how to play with Saban. Um, He has done over the hump, but they've been extremely close the last two years. So, yeah, a lot of it depends. Like, if Alabama can find their quarterback, then um, I think they'll be fine. But there's there's a chance that out of those four guys that are in contention, like, one of them does not really take uh, the stranglehold of the job or as Nick Saban doesn't win the t- says doesn't win the team, um, then yeah, there's some, definitely some tricks here. Uh, I mean, at Ole Miss, like you said, at Kentucky or not at Kentucky, at Arkansas, at Tennessee, even a Like a has a lot of talent, and I know they've kind of blown it the last couple of years. But um, if they get if they can figure out Trevor Knight, uh, like and find that player that played in that Sugar Bowl against Alabama, um, and get him on the field most weeks, like a and has, like, three or four nasty receivers. They have solid running backs, their defense. They have the best defensive player in the country, I think, in Miles Garrett. Um, so there's a lot. I mean, it's the SEC. Every year there's, there's a ton of huge games, But um, there are definitely some, some, some traps here for Alabama. It's just a matter of, like, with Alabama, I think, I think you start with them and see, you know, what has to happen for them to lose rather than, you know, another team just walking up and beating them. Maybe Ole Miss is the only one that can probably step to them and, and they've kind of proven that they can beat them straight up
1: right yeah and, and to close out Alabama yeah I think that the only thing that really puts Ole Miss head and shoulders above Texas a and M. I I mean I think Ole Miss is a better team than Texas A&M this year but the only reason that I wouldn't even entertain the A&M thing is because A&M is at Bryant Denny um and again obviously Ole Miss is in Oxford um Dan looking once over at the schedule uh one more time, do you see Alabama in the SEC championship game? If so, do you see them in the playoff? And if so, do you see them winning it all?
2: Um, I do. I, I just I'm not going to bet it's Alabama. So I do. I see them winning the SEC. Um, I think there are teams that can probably come close with to the talent. I think Ole Miss. I think Tennessee. The problem is where we we talked about Alabama having question marks at quarterback. But like, how many teams don't in the SEC? Like I, there's no team that has a quarterback that you feel 100% great about, um, except for maybe Ole Miss. Uh, yeah. I mean, just looking at looking at Alabama's schedule, like Tennessee. I, I don't know what Josh Dobbs has done to, aside from like the fact that he's an aerospace engineer and that's really cool. Like his play on the field's been pretty average, and it's better than what Tennessee's had, but it's it's not great. Uh, Arkansas's new quarterback, um, LSU. Like if you if you trust Brandon Harris, like more power to you. Okay. Um, Mississippi State is a new quarterback. Auburn, who knows? Um, so, yeah, it's just Alabama has quarterback issues, but so does literally everyone else except for Ole Miss. Um, even A&M, like Trevor Knight, like he, there's a reason he got – I mean, Baker Mayfield's better, but it's not like he was all that great in 20, uh, 2014 when Baker Mayfield was not was not allowed to play. So, yeah. Um, until, like, further notice, I just have to ride with Alabama. And if they win the SEC, as long as I don't have, like, two losses, I, I assume, and two losses is definitely on the table, but I, I just assume they'll be in the playoff. Um, and that should obviously blow up, but I, I just feel very comfortable penciling them in.
1: I buy it. Reluctantly, but I do, I have them in the playoffs in My pick, I don't have them winning it. That, that honor goes to Michigan. But, but I do have Alabama winning it, getting themselves into the championship game this year.
2: I will say, like, more so than years past, though, I, I I could, at the same time, you could tell me that Alabama loses three or four games this year. I don't think it'll happen, but it wouldn't shock me if they lost two.
1: Well, it's not because they've stepped back, and that's, I think, the, the key point for a lot of people. It's not that Alabama stepped back to the pack, quite the opposite. It's that the pack is is getting up to them, and, and, and there's, you know, the top, ta- the top teams, especially in the SEC, are recruiting at such a level that... It's not that they're on par with, with a squad that, you know, reels in the number one class pretty much every year, but they're they're getting within shouting range, and, and you don't necessarily just need a spread to
2: beat them anymore. That, and you just can't, like, you're not going to undefeated every year, so eventually it catches up to you. Right. And I, I think for Alabama, like, it just might happen one year. It doesn't mean that they're not, like, the best team top to bottom, but, like, at one year, they're just going to get some bad luck, like, like Michigan did last year a couple times, or... uh you know a couple of those other fluky games last year and and they're just not going to go 11 and 1 or 12 without something happening so that could be this year i mean they're, they're those are some tough road games um and while i don't totally buy into those teams like if you told me that two of four of those uh at arkansas at tennessee at lsu at all miss games were losses like that's not crazy
1: agreed and you know what good segue speaking of tough road games um high Ole miss um there is a there there's a good chance that a very good old miss team could still lose at least three games this year based on this schedule you've got a sort of road game against Florida state it's over in orlando um, you've got roadies at arkansas at l s u at a and m and just in case you were looking for like you know if you want to go back to the you know old miss of old um you get a trip up game against Vandy before your rivalry game, the Egg Bowl against Mississippi State.
2: Yeah, I mean the SEC West is just such a, a grind. Like back to back games at Arkansas and at LSU. Yes. Even if you like Ole Miss top to bottom better than both those teams, like those are two super physical, super like grinded out teams. Um, and that, that and playing on the road back to back weeks is, is super is really tough. So. Uh, and then, like you said, Florida State is just, I mean, that's a brutal first game. Dalvin could come out with his head on fire and go for 250. Alabama's Alabama. Georgia, like, they're a question mark, but they're still incredibly talented. Um, down the stretch, I think after they get after they play at LSU, that's pretty manageable. Auburn's a question mark at A&M. Like, we just talked about them. They're, they could be very good, but, i you know, we you have to see it first. Yeah. Um, Ole Miss shouldn't be too troubled by Georgia Southern. I know we like Georgia Southern, but they're you know not the same level as Ole Miss. I don't buy into Mississippi State at all this year. Or Van, I mean Vandy, they, they're interesting, but they're offensively like they probably won't score in this game. So this one's actually like a little uh, friendlier toward down this uh, at the end. But those first uh, what six games, it, it doesn't get much worse. First seven games the, doesn't get much uh, tougher than that.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's dead on. I mean, and even. I don't, they're not going to lose to Wofford, but
2: they just lost to Memphis, so we can't just say they won't.
1: Right, but like <laughs> I know, you look, at, you look at even the Wofford game though. Like you get a five day break to face Wofford. There's just you... this is the schedule is brutal. I still think I still think Ole Miss should go nine and three to ten two.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. And I mean, if, if Kelly puts together like a Heisman type year, they could win the SEC West. Like they are, they have the, the the quarterback. They're like the one team that can say they have the quarterback. Um, they replace some other stuff around, you know, around the roster, but um, they have some interesting receivers. Uh, Evan Ingram's really nice tight end. Their defense, I think, will take a step back, but they still have uh, some really nice players on that on that side of the ball. Um, it's just funny how it works out. Like if they if a lot of teams, they in this league, like they have everything, and they just missing the quarterback. Ole Miss, like they, they probably wish they 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 could have gotten what they'll probably get out of Chetley this year. Last year, when they had everybody, um, not that Chetley wasn't very good last year, but uh, they're like the one team that you know they're getting their senior quarterback, where they they, they lose a lot uh, across the board else otherwise. But they're in pretty good position going forward as well because they have Shea Patterson waiting in the wings, who's. Um, probably going to take over as a redshirt freshman next year, assuming he doesn't play this year. And he's, uh, was the number one quarterback in the country. So, uh, for however Hugh Freeze is getting it done, he's really building something at Ole Miss. Um, they just have to hope that doesn't get torn down by, uh, outside forces.
1: Too, too true. Um, so yeah, I think Ole Miss is, 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 a playoff nominee. I think that they are a team that will be playing in a very good bowl no matter what, um, Going down the SEC West a little bit more, um, LSU faces a very different type of schedule um, than Ole Miss does. I feel like despite the fact that they're in the SEC West, this seems infinitely more manageable. Um, I'm probably underestimating Florida, but I think LSU beats them in their annual game. This is an LSU team that, and maybe I'm underestimating Wisconsin too, um, but this is an LSU team that with Fournette alone should be able to get to seven and oh but what they do after that i mean this whole season is going to be defined by a three-game stretch with a bye week in there as well from october 22nd to november 12th
2: yeah i mean that that you nailed it like florida is you know going to ben hill Griffin is never going to be easy but they again they lost their quarterback uh, will Greer to suspension slash transfer Um uh, but like you said, they should be able to get some nice momentum. Obviously, they did the same thing last year, and it didn't end up mattering because Alabama shellacked them once they finally played a, a tough team, and uh, they kind of just spun their wheels after that. Um, Wisconsin team's interesting. I, I don't buy in on the Badgers like as a team that's going to go out and beat LSU. Um, I think they could win the Big Ten West, but they're not—they're so hard to get excited about, especially off campus. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think it's really cool they're playing at Lambeau uh, as a Packer fan, especially. Um, so that should be a, an interesting thing in that regard, and it's more interesting than playing at like the you know the 18th neutral site game at, at Jerry World. But um, just like Wisconsin again, they don't have a quarterback. They don't have like Torrey Clement's really good, but it's not like they're uh, they have the same rushing attack they had a year or two ago. They're just kind of a boring team. They'll probably be pretty good, but LSU has so much talent across the board outside of uh, quarterback that um, I just can't imagine LSU not winning that team by, like, 10 points. Uh, and then, like you said, until they play Ole Miss, that's, and, and that three-game stretch with Ole Miss, Alabama, and at Arkansas, that's just really brutal.
1: Yeah, I think if me, LSU, like, if you can get through that, like, if you get through that at one and two, you're not making the playoff. But you're still in contention, potentially, for the SEC West, depending on, you know, what happens. And I think you're definitely in contention for, you know, one of the big money balls as well. Um, I, I mean, Fournette's obviously, like, going pro. And I think yeah, he's,
2: Four, he's done after this.
1: He, he, he's done. I, I, want, I want to watch LSU this year because I want to see less rebound and because I want to see, you know, what Fournette can do. he's a little more motivated I feel like this year he's definitely more motivated I feel like you know right or wrong I feel like Ezekiel Elliott going in the top five uh, this year's NFL draft is is probably motivated a few running backs at least um, including Fournette Cook and and a bunch of others um, to really put in some uh, some stellar campaigns because it seems like running backs can get uh, paid and, and can get you know highly regarded yet again in the NFL even if temporarily
2: Yeah, I mean, I think Elliott was a a really interesting prospect because he was not only, you know, one of the four or five best runners in intelligible for a couple years, but he's also a absolutely outstanding blocker, which is really underrated in the NFL from running back because there's so much passing. And he was one of the best receiving backs. Uh, So he really had it all Fournette doesn't catch the ball that much. I don't really know how he is as a blocker. I'm not gonna say he's bad. I just don't know. Um, As a runner, he's obviously he has it. He's unbelievable. Um, but yeah, like you said, uh, now, now, that you, they've kind of, uh, broken through with Elliott, um, and kind of proven that you can get pitied early the year before as well. Um, like there's a little bit more of a resurgence in running backs doing the first round. Uh, there's a chance, you know, he really wants to show out. Um, if they get quarterback play, LSU could be the favorite just because if Brendan Harris finds it, like he has all the weapons. And we talked about this last year leading up to our game. And we saw it. Malachi Dupree and Travander all like, that's as, as good a wide receiver combo as you'll see. And it's just kind of a shame they haven't had a tie that can get them the ball reliably because they are both like athletic freaks. And Fournette should have room to run because those two guys should be able to stretch the field. And Harris and Anthony Jennings before him just never quite had uh, found the consistency to do it. Um, but this team could be a lot of fun if they get at least like average, if they got like Alabama, Okay, like game manager quarterback play, they could be really special.
1: Agreed, and then, and it's obviously a little bit easier too. Not just with net, but when you have a defense full of you know future all pros and, and, and things like that. I mean, this, this the yeah, it's it's disgusting. Their their secondary is probably the best in the conference. Linebacker Corbin Kendall Beckwith, I, I think, is is an absolute stud. Like this team has too many names on defense alone to be out of any contest they're in. And if they are, then, then yeah, maybe the calls for less's job are warranted because this seems like a team that has the pieces. All they need, if that quarterback play can just figure itself out, um, you know, that 9-10 win season ceiling suddenly looks like a hell of a lot more.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it makes like that game in Alabama last year so confusing because defensively they, they should not be outmatched by that team and maybe they lose a slugfest. But it almost feels like there's like a mental thing there, like where they're just like we're just not on the same level, and they let Alabama, who obviously had you know a monster running back with Derrick Henry last year, but otherwise like this defense should have matched up better, and they just got rolled. So um, it'd be nice to see LSU break through because I think the SEC West would be more interesting if uh, one of these teams, besides from Ole Miss, who you know will end up stubbing their toe afterwards anyway, um, would step up and like and compete for for the top spot here.
1: Yeah. You know what? Another team that could be – I think we'll, we'll close out the SEC West on this because I know we're kind of running into OT. Um, all of the three teams we named so far head to Arkansas this year. Um, that sounds like there's at least one upset in there. Oh, for sure. Based on that. Um, otherwise, you know, look at TCU, that's a tough road trip. Um, but otherwise, um, Arkansas probably is the most manageable schedule of all. Um at ANN at Auburn at Mississippi State at Missouri your i mean those are those are your four easiest in conference games and they're they're all you know on the road so so in some regard you know that's unfortunate in others that if if Arkansas is going to be a very good team this year uh they could potentially take a step to be a great team by winning those four games and then taking at least one of the games against those other three, if not more,
2: yeah, it's just tough because I feel like in the years, the last two years, is when Arkansas should have hit the ground running um, with the players that the you know veterans in place. And uh, this year, they they replace uh, Allen for Allen. Uh, Austin Allen steps in at quarterback, uh, replacing his brother Brandon. Um, so who knows how that goes? I don't think you can just assume they. they it is both their really nice running backs, uh, Jonathan Williams and uh, oh, by predicting Alex. Uh,
1: yeah, that who's guy. Alex? Collins. You know,
2: Alex Collins. I would say Alex Jones, and I'm like, he is not a running back. <laughs> <laughs> he is a, a much different thing. Um, not a running back. Uh, yeah, I mean, last year I feel like is when they should have really gone off to a fast start. They've been in Bealum's system for long enough. This year, I mean, they still have a lot of players and some veterans, but um, I feel like they might just be replacing enough where it, it's kind of a, a stop and start again. Defensively, they're very senior laden, So if they can pick it up on that end, uh, they could be really competitive. And, and obviously they've had uh, they've played some, some of the best teams in the SEC very tough in years past, and they tend to get a big upset or two. I think they beat beaten LSU two years in a row. Um,
1: I think you're right.
2: Yeah. But then they're also playing...
1: all the- Miss game last year.
2: Oh, that was amazing. That was such a good game. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, the other problem is that they're at a major talent uh, disadvantage against pretty much every team in their division aside from Mississippi State. So, like, they can make up for it with a uh, good system and good coaching and, and being, you know, just knowing what they want to do uh, in their game plan. But... Um, if they're, I mean, replacing your quarterback and, and your two stud running backs, obviously Williams is hurt most of last year, but that makes it a lot harder. So I don't know if this is the year they break through, uh, but that would be cool as well because Brett Bielman actually drives me crazy sometimes with some of his rhetoric and whatnot, but he, he is a very good football coach, and he does bring kind of a unique, uh, you know, he flies in the face of, of the wide-open offenses, which I, I love those wide-open offenses, but I think part of the magic of college football is the fact that no two teams look exactly alike. I'm like the NFL, so I kind of do embrace like Bielima's just total meathead football as well.
1: I would concur. Um, I guess with the last couple minutes that we have, and by have I mean don't, but whatever. Um, Dan, who do you think is going to win the SEC East? And let's talk about that team and that team alone, and we'll forget the rest of the division completely.
2: So we went, we earlier said that we weren't buying all the way in on Tennessee. Uh, I still think you have to sign for them as the favorite just because they bring back so much. Um, It wouldn't shock me if Georgia just jumped up and took it because, you know, Georgia also has a ton of talent. But Tennessee, like, they've basically, since Butch Jones got there, they've been building these, like, these giant recruiting classes of, like, 25 to 30 guys. I like top Um,
1: 5 to 10, like, level talent, too. Right. It hasn't come together
2: yet. No. And and I think some of that, like, it, it matters. It depends on Josh Dobbs maturing and finding, you know, that consistency. Um, but they have Jalen Hurd, who is an absolute train at running back. They have a lot of really good receivers. They have defensive linemen to spare. Uh, Talil McKenzie is a, is a load in the middle. Uh, they have uh, defensive end, is it Derek Barnett, who's incredible. Like, outside of Miles Garrett at a probably the best in the league. So, like, they have all these guys. They basically have this giant junior class that is all coming up into, uh, you know, upper classmanhood now. Um, so on paper they look great, uh, and obviously they came on really strong last year. They they we, for whatever reason we always joke about this game, but they absolutely just destroyed Northwestern in the Outback Poll last year. Oh, yeah. um, so I, I think it's fair to call them the favorite um, because like Florida is dealing with all their stuff, Georgia has a new coach and might have a freshman quarterback this year, so it's a lot asking them a lot to win the league. Uh, and then Mizzou, South Carolina, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, you know. <laughs> you, you know how we feel about those teams. Back we, half of the, the year for players.
1: them is a, is a travesty, but in, in a good way for them, it's going to be unwatchable because they're going to win five straight games in pretty convincing fashion. So it's really going to come down again. This is you know, life in the SEC East. It's going to come down to what happens um, in that you know four game stretch: Florida at Georgia, at A and M, and Alabama. Now, Florida's my SEC East pick, and I'm not really thrilled about it. I could happily be convinced that Tennessee is the pick instead. Um, and, you know, maybe if, if you're in similar boat to me, you just look at last year's results um, and, and see how close Tennessee was to contending for a national title. Seven-point loss to Oklahoma in overtime. One-point loss to Florida. Four-point loss to Arkansas. Five-point loss at Alabama. And those are your four losses for Tennessee last year.
2: Yeah, no, and that, and that's like a, a team motto for them, basically. I think whatever that point total is. Like, they were very close. Um so we'll see. I, I think. I mean, I, I have no problem with you not picking Tennessee because history has told you that Tennessee will not win the East. Um, but I think on paper, I totally get why they're the they're a pretty heavy favorite. Um, I what I don't want to see is I do not want to see Tennessee get blasted by Alabama, no. have that be their only loss, and then have them get blasted by Alabama and at in Atlanta. Like I just need I I want an entertaining SEC championship, which we've been lacking since uh, Auburn to Zoo. When actually, you know, Auburn. Auburn didn't they rough up Mizzou? It Auburn was like Mizzou, every game before them.
1: Auburn Mizzou was fun for like a half or so.
2: What was the last um, really good SEC championship? It wasn't Alabama Georgia, was it? No, that game was boring. Let me. Sorry. No. I mean, the last play was crazy.
1: I mean, I know we're ready in overtime, but whatever. At this point, you, at this point, you've made your bed here, so you might <laughs> as well just stick around.
2: Um, I was actually just talking about with someone like how we never actually like have a uh, an hour-long podcast. We're always a little bit over, so I apologize. apologies to all of my loyal listeners and my actual group of friends who uh, <laughs> are now 10 minutes past an hour here.
1: Yeah, whatever. Just just listen to this while you're on a subway or something. Uh, the last good game, I mean maybe Alabama-Georgia Alabama, was a good game. If Georgia wasn't stupid and didn't know how to clock manage, that would have turned out differently. So two, December 1st, 2012 was the last like really, truly watchable start-to-finish SEC championship game. Okay. And that's like, that's the only one of the last seven or eight.
2: Yeah, I mean... And most of we've them watched, actually sucked. The, the worst, Alabama and Mizzou, was so unfortunate.
1: Just bad. Oh. Just, just all around, just terrible. <laughs> but yeah. Um, okay, so my thing with the SEC is always, when in doubt, pick Florida. Um because that just seems natural and without even looking yeah they've made more appearances than anybody else so totally makes sense to just pick them tennessee has been kind of down georgia isn't as good as it's supposed to be so what are you left with you're left with the team that has made more sec championship games than no sorry they made one less on their own than georgia and tennessee combined so yeah, to me, that, uh, that means just pick Florida when you're at a loss for who's going to win SEC East, and you have a 50% chance of
2: being right. And that is the SEC. That's
1: the SEC. Um, all right. I think we can close out here. Uh, Dan, thank you, as always, for joining. It was, uh, it was a pleasure.
2: Yes. Sorry about the, uh, the day delay here for everyone, but uh, hopefully this will take you into a fun and prosperous weekend. Yeah.
1: Blame my anniversary. It's all good. Yeah, how,
2: how dare you celebrate your marriage, John? How, how we have I? listeners. <laughs> they depend on us.
1: I'll, I'll be sure to, to honor my, uh, my contract with you listeners much more next time than the contract with my wife. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, that was Dan. I'm John. Thanks for listening to Troy Noon's and Absolute Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Blog Talk, on whatever other service you use to listen to us. And uh, go orange in 30-ish days.
0: Go orange Shop online or find a store near you at jared.com and dare to be devoted.